Welcome to Imperfect Allies. My name is Chris. And I'm Richie. And we're here to talk to each other about what it's like to be white and what it's like to be black in America. Our goal is to have a candid conversation about race and impacts and intersects our daily life, as well as our country. The episodes offered here are based around real candid conversations that Chris and I have that are available if you support the show. From those conversations, we take a deep dive into topics that we discover to better empathize and understand ourselves and our American culture. If you like the show, please comment and subscribe and reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter at Allies Imperfect. Let's start the show. All right, welcome everybody. We are Imperfect Allies. And this is Richie. Chris. Right, and we got tonight. I'm very excited, Miss Robin Beasley. This is this is the woman oh. herself. That's who we have today. <laughs> That's who we have today. Chris, we got your mom on the podcast. <laughs> oh wow, this feels like uh, the principal's office all over again. Ah, uh, no, it's great. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a lot of questions for you, Miss Beasley. But uh, uh, could you just kind of introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, tell the, the folks that are listening about yourself. Sure, absolutely. Chris and Richie, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, hello, everyone. Again, I'm Robin Beasley. Um, I guess you have to know where you come from to know where you're going. So I'll, I'll give you guys a little background of, of me. I was born in Mobile, Alabama, but lived in a small town right outside Mobile called Pritchard. Uh, very, very small town. Most people haven't heard of it. Uh, my parents had seven kids, four boys and three girls. Yeah. I'm the fifth child, the oldest girl. And we moved to San Antonio around 1968. So that kind of gives you an idea of my age. 68? But, uh, 1968. <laughs> um, <laughs> we moved because my parents were both civil service workers. And when after Kennedy was killed, um, I guess, Alabama wasn't big supporters of Johnson. And so after Kennedy was killed, he shut down a lot of bases. And so that was one thing my parents worked for, the Air Force Base in Mobile. And so we had to relocate to San Antonio and ended up work. They worked at Kelly Air Force Base there. So that's how we got to take. So y'all were uh, the military family. Um, well, not quite military, more civil service workers. So they were, my father had served in the military, but had gotten out. So he didn't retire from the military, but they both worked at the Air Force Base just as civilians. Okay. okay. Um, of the okay. government. Employees okay. of the government. Yeah. Gotcha. So how did, like a, how, oh, go ahead, Richie. Oh, no, I was just going to say like a, like a contractor or, or, I mean, they might've worked I, just for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, employees, actually yeah. employees, mm -hmm. not contractors. So okay, and so how was y'all's opinion? So I guess if you work for the government, do you know if your family was pro big government? Then you know the whole. I mean, do you know? Um, I'm I, I got to make an assumption because for the most part, you know, and I don't mind sharing, we were democratic, a democratic family. So Democrats typically believe in big government. So. We support the government. So, yeah, I think that's the direction that, that we went in. So, uh, anyway, we moved to San Antonio. And one one interesting thing to me is that um, we've always, you know, it's a large family, but we've always lived in a house. 
Uh, some of my peers, you know, they probably had apartments or or uh, whatever. But my parents have always lived in a house. In in Pritchard, we stayed in our um, grandmother's house, who was what they used to call a shotgun house, where you could shoot a gun from the front to the back because <laughs> the rooms <laughs> were like right behind each other. You yeah. know, one great hallway through every room. And uh, so when we moved to San Antonio, uh, we rented a house for a period and then they ended up buying a new house, which is the house I grew up in on on Yucca Street on the east side. And it was pretty much a, a black community. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not something we necessarily talked about. It was just growing up. It was just a way of life. And I would consider my parents as um, middle income, but probably uh, low to middle part of the middle class. Okay. Uh, and the, on the east side of uh, San Antonio at that time, did you notice like a lot of uh, black businesses and stuff? Or was it just a black residential neighborhood? I'm just curious. No, no, you're right. There were black doctors. There were some small mm-hmm. black businesses. Absolutely. And that's the way it was in Pritchett as well. Mm-hmm. So, and that was um, in late 60s, early 70s, even though things had already integrated, it, yeah. it still took a while for total integration, I, I imagine, because yeah. I didn't necessarily experience integration in forest schools until junior high school that okay. I remember. Okay. So That's interesting because well, I saw, I watched, uh, you know, and in, in, uh, I watched a small documentary series or I don't know if it's a documentary it's just a series that Killer Mike did and he spent a whole day trying to just spend money on black owned businesses in in Atlanta uh and it's mm. Atlanta's majority black right now and and uh he couldn't do it he couldn't do it and and he was trying to to get into like why that is what were you know what's changed since I mean I know that we had segregation and so there was no real choice other than have black owned businesses for you know black folks um, so I, I just, I just, I was curious about that, what the, what it looked like and is yeah. that, is and it, I, is it, go ahead. I was just going to say, I imagine what changed is the larger companies started moving in the mm. grocery stores, the restaurants oh, to yeah. where, you know, if they were franchised, they could, they could put a spot in multiple locations, mm. whereas, you know, black owned businesses, you basically had one spot. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, so, yeah, most, yeah, I'd say most small businesses for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a whole other issue is the Walmart, Walmart issue, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. same thing. Crandall, Texas, where I was just recently working, they did not want a Walmart at all. Um, but the neighboring city took a Walmart and it's close enough that that's destroying the small businesses as well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. That is exactly it. So anyway, growing up, you know, um, junior high school, high school, on dance team, cheerleader, um, on the jockey team board on my senior year, which was uh, jockeys was like a Dillard's or a, or a Macy's. And so I really pretty much represented my school as um, on that board. And the board was really more community service a little bit, but more modeling and commercials for the store, you know? So it was you were a model? 
was so free labor. So <laughs> yeah, free labor, basically. Well, and so uh, I'm excited to get your, you and my mom talking too because she did something similar, very, very similar. Cool. Yeah, yeah, same kind of thing. Uh, that's so cool. Yeah. Anyway. So anyway, uh, grew up San Antonio. Uh, over several years after graduating from high school, that's where I met uh, I met Peter's Peter Chris's dad in um, San Antonio, and then we moved to Dallas. Um, and Peter worked for Mobile, which is oil and gas at that time. And I interviewed at Mobile, but in the accounting center. And I had not finished my degree yet. So I had probably taken a few college classes at first in San Antonio, but had nowhere come close to having what I needed. So once in 85, when we moved to Dallas, um, we were engaged, um, eventually married. But basically, once I got on at Mobile, I was working full time, going to school full time, trying to get my uh, accounting degree. And I got it in uh, 88, graduated from high school, 77, got my accounting degree in 88. So it took a while, yeah. but I did accomplish that. Good. That's and awesome. so after the degree, that's when it was time to start a family. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, when my favorite son was born. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the favorite you're my favorite son don't tell the others okay last i checked i was the only child but maybe well you know you weren't you weren't the only child because uh, chris when he grew up he had many friends and so i was kind of mother to not just chris but to many of his friends and, oh, awesome. and yeah yeah, that. So I have two big accomplishments in my life, and that's being a a, a mother to Chris and his friends, as well as finishing my. Day. That's and awesome. So, yeah, so that's kind of where where I am. Uh, again, I um, it helped me to to get the degree to afford the opportunity to um, let the child support check go to saving for Chris's education. So he was able to yeah. go to Texas A&M Texas debt free. Oh, wow. And yeah, yeah. And awesome. so, and then I'm able to retire 2020. So here we are, 2020. Yeah. 2020. A lot. Uh, so you, you have seen more than us. You, you know, you, you, you know, as far as that goes, what's the, can you talk about some of the big shifts that you've seen from, you know, whether it just be Texas regionally or the country, just some of the big things that you've seen shift in the last. Well, you know, <laughs> you guys are used to a lot, but yeah. the computers, I think Chris and I talked about that the oh, other yeah. day. Um, I grew up when the only computers were huge, big computers in, in rooms. And my mom used to work as a computer a key punch operator or something like that. And so in 85 is when I remember, because I was working for mobile, is when the personal computer came out and we didn't have them. Everyone didn't have one on their desk. We had to go to a computer room, like a closet. And, you know, it may have been three in that room where we each, you know, had to schedule time to do what we needed to do on that computer. So, that was a change. Cell phones from the big one to the small handheld. That was it's been a lot of change going on. 
Um, ladies going to work, we had to wear dresses and eventually they allowed us to wear pants. Um, Ooh, was that like a big victory? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's just, uh, we were more comfortable. We did so much and we were moved around so much that wearing slacks was a big deal. It was, I mean, we were, we were in suits, you know, mm -hmm. so jackets and, and pants, but it was, so we had the option to do both versus just being restricted to wearing skirts and dresses. Did that, did that feel like feminism? Did that, like, was there a, a movement that was against the patriarchy where men were frustrated or scared? Like, walk us through <laughs> how important this big shift was to wearing pants. Well, I guess, you know, after the bra burning days of which I wasn't a part of, <laughs> that helped us to kind of fight for more women's rights. And so, mm. um, you know, I don't remember a big beating in the, you know, the <laughs> boardroom or anything like that to uh, allow us to to dress that way. But it just it came about, you know, after, again, feminism and the and the. Uh, the 70s burning of the bras and all of that. So it was just uh, another way to get to uh, more women's rights. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, well do, can you, do you think about like the things that you did individually to sort of move that forward? So like um, my mom's the same generation, right? So y'all are similar ages. And uh, that's that, you know, seeing her progression through her company and, and, and what she's done, like it was very important for her, for her to work. And like, she was the main breadwinner of our family, actually. Uh, dad, my dad stopped working, um, uh, for several years to take care of my, uh, brother. And, um, uh, I, I was just curious about the things that you, cause the things that you maybe like remember or, or think about, like what caused the change? And I, I mean, I know like maybe voting is a thing, right. But you think about like just the individual stuff, like maybe showing excellence or I don't know, just the things that move that forward in our, in the ways that we yeah. can as individuals. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I can say again, I was divorced, you know, mm -hmm. Chris was young when Peter and I divorced. Yeah. Um, but without the education, it would not have allowed me to move from job to job within the same company to get pay increases. Yeah. Of yeah. course, that was the price to pay. Um, mm -hmm. There were times when I had to travel and Chris had to stay with either his godmother or his dad or someone else. Um, those were tough times for me, especially when I first started, you know, traveling. Yeah. Um, also, there were times when I had to stay late. I mean, I was mm -hmm. in the accounting department, so quarter clothing was serious. Oh, yeah. And so... I used to be at the office sometimes midnight, one o'clock sometimes. Wow. And yeah. so I would have to have a support system in place so that there would be someone there for him. Um, there was, when I first started working for mobile, um, it was really, I was young. It was, they were recruiting from mm. um, historical black colleges. There, was, okay. there were a lot. Of, I graduated from uh, University of Dallas. Um, but there were a lot of my peers who graduated from Grambling mm -hmm. and you know, Texas Southern. And so the, the percentage of black professionals was a large number during oh, wow. that time. It, and it was really an exciting time to be yeah. able to work with 
uh, in corporate America work with your peers, uh, white, black, Hispanic, and and yeah. not be just a small percentage of you. What year um, was this? This was, I started with Oval in 85, but I would say, because I graduated 88, so more of the 88 to early 90s, that, that okay. period. Um, again, it was exciting. Uh, young people um, just working for the company, giving it our all in all, having social settings together. It, it was just a really good time. Uh, but awesome. of course, it over the years, uh, the business started losing money, you know, through different things. And uh huh. Okay. And so, like every two years, we were going to through downsizing, and and from our perspective, from a black person's perspective, it always seemed like the blacks were the first to be let go. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> so yeah, you know, not being part of the decision making. Uh, we don't know all the decisions that went into who's going to be let go here and there, but it just always felt that way. But yeah, so, I cannot... go ahead. So mobile had a culture of going to HBCUs. And then when they were bought over by Exxon, you didn't, you haven't seen that culture. essentially. They I've never seen that culture culture at Exxon, but I will say even mobile at a point stopped doing that. Before the merger, they had stopped doing that. I don't know why, but they did. Hmm. So, um, like, so once the attrition happened and they let go, you know, many blacks, then the number of us reduced. You know, whereas before it was a very large number. Um, hmm. So that was kind of disappointing. But in any sense, um, sitting through a layoff is always a hard thing because I could be sitting next to someone that. You know, they'll come and say, pack your bags and then got to go. So not a good experience. Wow. Um, so I've, I've seen a lot. Um, well, that's a, that's, that's a really, uh, sorry, my brain, my, you've, you've heard the podcast, you know, my brain goes in three different directions at once and it stops you from talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. So you've seen the shift from uh, working, you know, the eighties to the nineties, into this this millennia uh what what did you what kind of things were you feeling when those changes were taking place like say when when affirmative action started or which there's a huge like misunderstanding about what that is that was a government program for government workers that private companies adopted but it wasn't part of private you know they didn't make private people you know private companies do that stuff but it there's this myth that's perpetuated by a lot of, uh, at least from my corner of the of the white space that I live in, uh, a lot of people were like really upset by that. And and I'm just curious about your viewpoint of like what you saw corporate culture shifting from like not diverse at all to to you know folks that are uh, working and maybe maybe managers are, are starting to diversify and include people, but leadership is still primarily white. Um, and male, like those are the two that you see a lot. And, and to, to today, I mean, I, you know, corporate culture has shifted quite a bit. And I was curious your perspective yeah, on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting because I feel like I went into it when it was diverse. Mm. You know, when I first started with mobile, it was wow. diverse. And yeah. that was, again, that was exciting. Um, yeah. See people like you, um, even, let me think. Um, maybe a minimal 
amount of people in supervisory management roles, not a lot, but a lot of peers still, you know, there. Um, Then it started to diminish um, when they stopped, um, when they stopped going to HBCUs and when the downsizing happened, that's when you started to see fewer and fewer. So affirmative action, hmm. It's hard to say how it played into this particular corporation because right. again, it, it started, I started when it was a, a large volume of diverse people and yeah. then it decreased after that. But uh, I guess my first thought was when Chris was young and I wanted to put him into a neighborhood school that was managed by a, um, a government judgment that it's Hamilton Park um, here in the Dallas area. It's in a um, predominantly black neighborhood, but the school is a pace setter school, kind of a magnet school. Uh-huh. They had a quota. And, and of course, the, the community wanted to at least be able to maintain that the, the students in the neighborhood had first choice to go to that school. And then... Um, okay. Others, I think it was like 50% from the neighborhood, 25% Blacks from somewhere else, mm-hmm. and 25% others. Oh, wow. And so that was a quota. And I was trying to get Chris in that school because we weren't in that neighborhood. It was supposed to be a good school. Uh-huh. And he wasn't, they had already met their quota, basically. Mm-hmm. They had already mm-hmm. met their quota. So you Should weren't able to go there. But you could have gone to uh <laughs> I think that's what it's called, which was another school uh, in a white community, uh, not far from where President W. Bush lives now. You could have gone there (laughs) because you were black and there was a spot for you. So it it just worked both ways. But it's not a negative thing. Affirmative action wasn't a negative thing. It's just to give equal footing to all. Try to find a way to like, yeah. To fix this inequality issue, yeah. So did you end up, did Chris, did you end up going to a, a different school than your neighborhood school? So, yeah, um, uh, in Richardson, there was two magnet schools for elementary, I think. And so I went to the other magnet school, which was, I guess, in, in the center of the city of Richardson. Uh, so the school that my mom was talking about was in a predominantly black neighborhood. And okay. that's the church that we went to was also in that neighborhood. But the school I went to was classical magnet and um, it was a magnet school. It was predominantly uh, white, but still pretty diverse from what I can r- recall. Okay. And it was, so my mom lived on the East side of Dallas, but my dad lived in Richardson still. And so, the 30 minute, 35, 40 minute drive to, to school each day as well. Um, just to go into that better school district, which is really funny because on the East side, there's a magnet school there, Skyline, um, magnet school. And I'm sure they had a feeder program as well, but that is a predominantly, um, black neighborhood. And I just think that the chances of falling into a, a rough situation are amplified. Um, cause I have several coworkers, that are in the education space that came out of those neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And most of the people they know did not make it out of that neighborhood without stopping at a penitentiary. And so it's oh, just. Wow. From the east side, 
yeah, from the east side. Mm -hmm. Wow. Just a a stone skip away. I mean, not far at all. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, what, um, so, so my experience and you, you know, uh, Ms. Beasley, you've, you've listened to the show, so you kind of know a little bit about me. You know, we didn't talk about race growing up. And in fact, like it was celebrated that we didn't, you know, and, um, because the idea was that we had, or that, that sort of we had as a family was, well, we just treat everybody equally. It doesn't matter what color, you know, skin you have or how dark or light or whatever, or where you're from. Um, what kind of conversations were y'all having at that time? Like about, about race, did that stuff pop up? I mean, well, we didn't necessarily talk about race either. We acknowledged, you know, whites versus blacks versus Hispanics, you know, whoever Mm -hmm. we were talking about, not necessarily negative or positive, Right. but we didn't necessarily talk. My dad probably, um, had more experiences as far as racism um, any of us. And there would be some times that he would mention some of the things that he had gone through. Um, that was one time he, he did get picked up by police in, in Alabama and, um, he, I th- he was kind of beat up. Um, I don't remember the full circumstance, but he had gotten beat up, um, by some cops during that time. But I don't think that I was shielded or protected, but, I don't, I can't put my finger on situations when I actually experienced racism directly toward me, but I'm aware enough to know that it is and does exist and that my peers who, you know, would have mentioned that they experienced it definitely did. So um, unfortunately, our black men are targeted more, I think, than uh, the women. And unfortunately, there's also the color differences in our skin. And, you know, I'm not light, light skin, but I'm not the darker skin. Um, and so that might be another reason that I may not have experienced some of the uh, races uh, target targeted things that some of my other peers have. Are there, are there, are there things that you reflect back on that were like, uh, I'm just I, I'm curious about, oh, that was racist. He was talking, you know, <laughs> and that's the other things that you can remember that you're like, ah, oh, that's no big deal. And then like, no, wait a minute. They should not have said that or done that. I'm just, uh, I tend, well, cause I you know that a lot of criticism that I've gotten is, well, if you, if everything is, uh, oh, what is it? You carry around a hammer everything looks like a nail mm-hmm. so i mean chris what's the we've heard that on facebook a lot right like that kind of that well, kind of time yeah if you have the the worldview where you're you're expecting racism to happen you'll start seeing it or looking for it um but i think ironically my mom is not in that space she doesn't operate right. in that world and so um i don't think my mom is oblivious to racism but i really don't think she's also ever looking for it so Sure. I I think you you mom would be hard pressed to <laughs> to recall yeah. a time. I I think the only honestly because of the mom thing, mm-hmm. I would direct. I would really say that the times that I would notice it was when you were in school. For instance, Mister Figueroa in mm-hmm. elementary school, and and I and that was probably. Names, right? 
<laughs> hey, he's already, he's already got a rap sheet. So. Okay. Oh, really? It's all good. You oh, look no. <laughs> sorry to interrupt I'm you. Sorry. Let me re- reiterate. I haven't shared this story on. I haven't shared this story on the uh, podcast yet, but I, I do have a, a comedy bit that currently is uh, I, I, not owned by Dallas Comedy House, but I did a show for them that they haven't released yet, and so okay. I haven't released it out of respect for them. But um, but the, unfortunately, R.I.P. It has taken out the comedy house, so um, yeah. well, well hey, let's good. get into it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, no, well, that's good. Now that you know, when I think about it, um, again, not necessarily directed at me, but as a mother, recognizing it directed at my son, at Chris. So, uh, in let's see, yeah, that was actually elementary school. The mm-hmm. um, I don't remember all the circumstances, but I do know that the vice principal, regardless of what Chris did, he always seemed to have escalated it to to seem like it was more. And um, and one particular time, he uh, got in. I guess had some incident in the kitchen, not the kitchen, but the dining room, and Chris. Uh, his trace, he turned and the tray and the spaghetti spilled. And Mr. Figueroa felt like he angrily did that on purpose and wanted him to clean up the whole dining room. And so at that point, even Chris's dad was like, no, no, uh, that's too much. He'll clean up this spot that he was responsible for, but he is not responsible for cleaning up. But that, you know, that was minor compared to the incident when um, he did get into a push and shoving with another here, kid. Here, I'll, I'll tell it because first off, she wasn't there first off. <laughs> Secondly, I, I, I'm a comedian, so it is my job to tell the story theatrically. And my mom is, uh, she's an accountant. That's okay. Just to give us facts. That's it. Give yeah, she's giving the numbers. She's like, there was two individuals. That's and right. They... That's right. <laughs> um, so during, again, we were talking. I went to a magnet school, classical mm-hmm. magnet, um, predominantly white, but it was multicultural. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have a assistant principal named Mr. Figueroa who seemed to have a bone to pick with me. And first, let me paint my character. Um, I was a Cub Scout. I was uh, respectful. I was in the church. I worked on the count team from the age two, like um, five. five. Oh, my bad. The, the accountant <laughs> has the numbers. Uh, <laughs> really speak to my accountant. Um, but I was just a, I was a very respectful kid, and um, that that's just from my mom. She just taught me how to how to be a good person in that way. But every mistake I made as a child, right in elementary school, you make mistakes. This principal had a knack for um, blowing it out of proportion. And so the, the first scenario of me in the cafeteria, I he told me to move and I got up really quickly and the tray, uh, I mean, yeah. uh, science, right? The, the tray, it kept going as I stood up. So mm-hmm. it fell on the floor next to me, mm-hmm. next to where I was standing. And my punishment was to mop the entirety of this ginormous cafeteria. Oh, wow. And um, And my dad showed up and said that this is wrong because I was probably seven or eight years old mopping wow. a, a complete oh cafeteria. It's a little gosh. ridiculous. Um, 
But then you fast forward to sixth grade. So this is years with this same uh, individual. Wow. In sixth grade, I had an, uh, my first male teacher, which I thought was amazing. His name is Mr. Evans. He was probably uh, maybe six foot, 240. <laughs> He's stocky mm. dude. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm four eight <laughs> on a good day, <laughs> you know, 112 pounds. Yeah. And so he knew I had uh, anger, temper kind of things. That's just kids. And yeah. I got in an argument with another student and that student uh, elbowed, like, not elbowed me. What is it called? Um, speared me. He basically mm-hmm. hit me in the chest while we were playing basketball. And yeah. I was ready to aggressively attack back. Sure. And Mr. Evans called me out and said, hey, Chris, come here. I see where this is going. Talk to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, he he pushed me. And I showed Mr. Evans how he pushed me because it wasn't a normal push. And another teacher saw that reported me to Mr. Figueroa, and their goal was to put assaulting a teacher wow. on my permanent record wow. when I was talking to it. Like, this man is huge, first off. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when I when I put my shoulder into him, it was not anything violent. Right. And I was literally showing him what just happened to me. And we, heart, we have that relationship. Regardless of what Mr. Evans said, Mr. Figueroa was adamant that I'm a respectful kid that would have assaulted a teacher, and that needs to be on my record. Wow. And it, it's just it's just mind blowing that I had to have a mom and a dad that were so on this man's high mm-hmm. to fight for my case and a, a teacher to fight for my case to keep that off my record yeah. because he had every intention of bearing my uh, my credibility. Right. Yeah. I have I'm a 12 years old, 11 to 12. All we did in sixth grade was fight. That's all. I mean, like, <laughs> that's all boys did. Boys. I mean, that's, it, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't want to, but I got into several fights at that age. And yeah, I mean, it's not. Anyway, go. Sorry. Just, it's yeah. just. And and I look back on it now and just get disgusted. And I don't get disgusted by many things. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the most freedom fighting black man in the world. Um, but in the moment. I don't think I fully understood. I mean, mom, you'd have to share what my reality was like at the time. I just, I was more upset about how other students didn't get treated how I got treated. That's how I remember it. Yeah, yeah. And you were always one that felt like things should be fair. And when they weren't, you voiced it. You have always been that way. And uh, when I saw that he added assault on your record (laughs) and wanted us to find, like we approved of it, it was like, no, no, this is not happening. And I want this off. And we we definitely fought. It took weeks to make sure he didn't do it. And finally, and this is talking to the vice principal, him, and as well as his principal. And we fought and we fought and we made sure that, because that would have a label like that on the right. young black child. I'm done. Yeah. You can imagine where he would end up. And- I don't know how much this had to do with it, but the principal, she was black and we had a decent relationship. Uh, and, and so I feel like Miss Johnson, I mean, one, I was in the office many times. Uh, I, there's one time, I think this was first grade, Miss Tolliver's class. So um, as a kid, as a young boy, you get frustrated. And me and Miss Tolliver had an agreement. So I can self-advocacy and uh, independence. She said, when you get angry, step out in the hall, calm down, and then come back in. That was our agreement. It was it was an efficient system. It made so much sense. I had a substitute one day. And the substitute 
either, I don't know what made me frustrated, but I know I said, hey, I got to step out in the hallway. And she said, no, you can't go anywhere. I was like, you don't understand, man. I'm like, this is, I, I can do this. This is a relationship I have with my teacher. I really need to go out in the hallway. So I went out there. Well, she mm-hmm. followed me out there. And I said, you you can't come here. Like, you have yeah. broken the rules. Yeah. And now you are making me more angry. And so I had only one option in my mind because she wasn't negotiating or communicating wasn't working. So I ran. I bolted. I was yeah. just gone. Wow. <laughs> I was like, I can't do this. And so I took off and I went and I, my brain processed all the places I could go. And I was like, the end of the day, I'll probably end up in the office. So I'm going to go straight to the office. I ran to the office mm-hmm. and sat in the, in the office, uh, principal's office waiting just outside because I knew it would eventually come down to that. And the funniest thing happened, and this is probably early in my head picking up on comedy, six people ran out of that office running right past me. And I was like, oh, they're probably looking for me. <laughs> <laughs> they're probably looking for me. And it took, it took um, I think, probably like 30, 40 minutes for them to find me because yeah. it had gotten to a, a level where everyone was scared that they lost a kid. So oh, Ms. Wow. Johnson had to get up and, and help support. And Ms. Johnson steps out of her office, looks and says, he's right here. And I, no one else knew what I looked like, apparently. Um, oh, wow. But but we had that relationship. She was like, come on in here. I was like, I've been in here the whole time. She's like, yeah. I believe that. And so me and Ms. Johnson had had a really intimate relationship. She cared, right? She yeah. just cared about me as a kid. And I think if she wasn't my, if she wasn't the principal, Mr. Figueroa was pushing for those things. I don't think my parents would have been successful any other way. Wow. That's possible. Wow. Wow. Possible. Wow. Yeah. So, what, some of the things that young black boys, especially, yeah. are faced with. And you don't, I mean, I think as a kid, you know, I didn't think about uh, the experience being different, right? Like the experience of just uh, like that kind of like, and it may just be personality, it may not be cultural or whatever, but, or, or whatever, but like that kind of like, resistance to authority <laughs> i i'm not with it i it was so you know I, I it was yeah um so that might just be a personality thing so that's i'm just i find that like so cool that you were like i, I gotta take care of myself this is how i do it i'm gonna go do it and and then basically you, you and your husband at the time both just like let's just we're gonna take care of this i just think that's I don't know. Well, I'm just. I, I don't know if, 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 if it's developed out of seeing authority fail you, mm. and and when that happens, like this is not authority. Like, and I think we talked about this on our police episode. Yeah. Is um, you know, authority is there to help you and be there for you, and when that falls apart, yeah. it's obviously not real authentic authority. And wow. and at classical magnet, I. I was on the, the bottom end of authority a lot. I remember mm-hmm. the student, again, like you said, I think this was this was kindergarten. We were at recess, and I, me and the kid were playing tag, and I felt like I wasn't it. And I didn't mm-hmm. handle it appropriately, and we started wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this kid had asthma, and so me wrestling him made him asphyxiated. Mm, wow. Uh, now, of course, you're a kid. You don't know this. Yeah. You're, you're just... Yeah. You're just resting with a kid. Five years old. Five year old. I have one in the house right now. They're nightmares. So no. <laughs> <laughs> right, and he's white, by the way. Oh right? yeah, See, even worse. 
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. I can know it. I can know it. I got, I got a white one in there. He's in the other room right now. Uh, sorry. But it, no, yeah. yeah. Five-year-old. I was yeah. five years old. So yeah. so I don't know that I'm uh, that I'm str- help, uh, that this kid can't breathe. Right. They um, punished me. Be- they uh, sent me to alternative school for choking a kid. Oh, wow. And it's like the intent that that word has. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Like, Choke. and I kept trying to explain, no, I, cause I knew what choking was. Choking is your hands around someone's neck, or at least that's yeah. how I saw it. So I just kept explaining, no, I didn't, I didn't choke him. I wasn't choking. That just sounds insane, yeah. but it was ignored because he couldn't breathe. And I mean, that is just, I don't know. Did you, Chris, did you find that you like internalized any of that? Like, like, Ooh, I was too, too bullheaded. Maybe is the word. Oh, yeah. I, it was it was uh, all external. Yeah, they these evil people. <laughs> the anger I had towards any time I felt injustice happen. Yeah, it was never put on myself until I, think I didn't start internalizing anything from a white to black experience until maybe college because. Okay. I think being an intelligent black man was intimidating to some peers that I had. And I didn't understand that until they were rude to me. Um, I I think I internalized a little bit of racism at that point. And also black, not being black enough. I started internalizing that in college. Mm. But um, but as adolescence, the only thing I would ever get emotional about was losing or not something not being fair. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it took a lot. Um, yeah. That fairness was big in your book. And, and and it was something just instilled in him from mm-hmm. pre-K to yeah. probably the fifth, sixth grade. And then, <laughs> thank goodness, we had the best um, child Baker. care owner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was about my height or a little shorter. Mm-hmm. And he finally was able to rein Chris in. Um, so the support system, it, it makes a big difference. I, I will always re- uh, reiterate that it does take a village. Yeah. When you're yeah. even a kid, you have black, white, Hispanic, it, mm-hmm. it, uh, it takes a village. Absolutely. And so uh, I was I was blessed enough because he actually, people wouldn't believe it. A lot of my peers, my family and friends, they don't believe that he was put out of the North Dallas Day School. I was kicked out of lots of places. Pre-K. <laughs> mm. Barely five years old. Wow. Yeah. They, I just feel like they they didn't have they didn't have either the patience, which I can understand, or the level of understanding and care. I you I I mean I was five and less than five, so I can't really recall the the only school I recall was in between um north dallas and all our children you sent me to this this uh what do you call it? chain it's a daycare chain yeah. and they we're telling the truth tonight we're telling the truth yeah, coming out. I, I, so my dad took me to this daycare chain and they put me in like a closet oh wow yeah and so, yeah, just just being here. We can't yeah. deal with you. And yeah. I knew that was wrong. And I, I came home speaking about that. But but that was the only real, real, um, that was just crazy. I can't believe places do that to people. 
Yeah, and I, 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 that's that's so interesting because I think I had the exact opposite experience. So like, and I don't know where this comes from, but like I when I was the similar age, like I don't know, like six under sixth grade, somewhere in elementary school, a kid punched me, and they took me to the office with him, and they both hit us with paddles, you know, and I was like. I know I didn't do anything wrong. I got punched in the face and now I'm getting spanked by a lady I go to church with, like Mary Harris. I'll say her name. Uh, uh, you know, and I'm, and I just, I just, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not right. That what you're doing is right. I'm, I, mm. I deserve this. So there that's must right, be yeah. something in me that deserves this. And that pattern continued on in my life. So that, I don't know if that's a white or, white or black thing, but like, um, that's really, really interesting to me, Chris, because I, I really admire that ability to and uh, to, to sort of speak up for yourself and and take up space. And, and regardless of authorities like it or not, this is how it is. This is what you know. And um, I don't know. That's I don't know. I, I, I admire that quite a bit. I, I imagine, Miss Beasley, that that was hard to deal with. <laughs> Very frustrating. <laughs> because my daughter, my, my middle daughter is that way. She will not handle <laughs> the slightest injustice yeah. <laughs> it's very that, frustrating that piece you're of pizza always... is too big look at that piece over there yeah <laughs> i'm doing my best but i you know just not yeah. <laughs> yeah. gotta be available for email calls from the teachers or mm -hmm. whoever it was a constant thing yeah but um, the important thing though is they got to know you and they know that you are a parent that is concerned about your child's well-being versus mm -hmm. not concerned. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, every time they call, I was either there or I responded <laughs> in some way, somehow, yeah. and we worked the issues. So, yeah. and I feel like I was respectful. I, I can only count one time that I was disrespectful, and it was because I had it. But for the most <laughs> part, for the most part, every teacher. I, I could go back and connect with any of them and talk to them and have a really good relationship. And that's every single one, except for that vice president, that vice principal, and the one that, yeah, we don't need to go over there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we I was wrong. Uh, I was wrong. Yeah, he was, he was wrong on that one. I couldn't support him on that one. Okay. Like, what? what? You're on your own on that one. Okay. But I, if social media was a thing, I would have blown up. I would have gone viral. Okay. I would have got all the likes, all the comments. You know, the kids loved it. <laughs> the, oh, <man. laughs> we'll, wow. we'll forget that one. Wow. Well, um, I, you know, we're we're almost at an hour here. And I, I don't want to keep too late, but uh, I would love to have you back on the show and just talk more about. <laughs> Your experience and, and Chris's experiences has been fantastic. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think if, if we get another chance, I really want to discuss the generational differences in the black community. And then Richie, when your mom, you know, yeah. the, the generational differences that how those uh, experiences uh, are different, you know, and I know in, in the black community, especially the, the hip hop is um, is a, a big, bold line. Right. Uh, right. My mom's generation, that, that's not it's not what black music is. OK. And uh, and I think that that's a really interesting topic because mm -hmm. so much of um, like if you I, I, I sent you the intellectual race 
the intellectuals on race book yes. Richie. yeah and yeah. um you know it kind of talks about culture and how culture can uh, cre uh create issues and the hip-hop culture has strengths but it has huge weaknesses that my mom's generation did not did not have you know um yeah that's that's so that's I, interesting because you're you're raising a kid at the rise of this hip, of hip-hop mm -hmm. if you have a few minutes to talk about that what was that like like um, well, we didn't listen to that much hip hop. Okay. And <laughs> we, okay. in the car, you know, I would have on uh, music like Luther or yeah. Teddy Pendergrass or, okay. uh, um, you know, those types of artists. And, mm -hmm. and Chris growing up, I mean, I would, he was in his car seat in the back and I'd look back and he's just, you know, mm -hmm. moving to me. <laughs> yeah. And so he's always enjoyed music. Yeah. But, as far as hip hop, the only the closest I could say that I've gotten to hip hop was when the the rapper speaks slowly like the Fresh Prince or okay. you know those that type of rap that slowly <laughs> enough I can understand what they're saying. How, but how, um, how was it when uh, hip hop entered Chris's life? Like when he started, it's like okay, was that into college I, or was that? Actually, Chris started making music young. Yeah. Uh, what's your first song? Gatorade song? Um, oh, yeah. My sophomore <laughs> year. Um, so this is 2006. I love uh, this, by the way. This is my track. favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, was, it was crazy because computers were still bulky and slow mm -hmm. and you didn't have the technology that we had. And so uh, me and my buddies made a track called Gatorade. Um, you know, I, I love rap and hip hop. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the street cred, so I had to rap about what I knew. And as an athlete, I knew Gatorade. Um, and so we just made a jam. But but I, I, I think one thing that uh, might have been different is I didn't bring the hip hop home very much, especially not to my mom's house. Uh, maybe I was smart, en smart enough not to. Uh, at my dad's house, I, I had a little bit more freedom to do those things. But... But I, I, I will say that my mom disagreed with a lot of it. And I think one, one thing we still disagree on is the use of the N-word, right? Oh, we, will never, we will never agree on this. And I think it's because in, our, in my generation of music, I mean, it's, it's in it's every other word. It's the ad-lib, it's the title, <laughs> like it's everywhere. And in my mom's generation, that's just utterly stupid and disrespectful. And there's no reason why you would ever venture to say those things. And... Um, and so I just, I have, mom, have I said the N word around you? I don't, you've, yes. heard, you've heard my mom. She said, yeah, I remember it was Tuesday. Yes. <laughs> I would always, Richie, I would always ask him, can you just not use that word sure. in your song? Can you oh, just okay. not use it, you know? Mm -hmm. and, well, mom, that's what you, it's like, oh my God, use another word or just don't say anything. Let it be blank. I, anything but that. Because in my household, my parents, they never used that word. They never used that word. Not in conversation. Of course, at that time, it wasn't in songs. Now, yeah. you know, it's all over the place. And, and I just, I can't stand it because it's just derogatory and it puts, you you know, it puts yourself down and, and others like you down. So I just, I don't approve of it. And that's fair. It's, I think, I think the older generations also y'all experience a, a slightly less. No, that's not the. Right. I was gonna say less volatile, but um, maybe less 
uh, I don't know how to. So I, I think that the anger in hip hop that existed also existed in your generation, but the expression of it in my generation was more um, immature, maybe, or more. Um, Not on experience. Say that again. Not from experience. Maybe, maybe the the experience of racism that we experience is a different version, right? And so, so the music expresses expresses the hatred toward the current version of generation of of racism, but it's not the uh, it's not the same as segregation. It's not the same as you can't really go into this neighborhood. It was more of the the de- decrepit neighborhoods that black people are in, and the police being present. And uh, the man kind of pushing us down in those areas. That was more, I feel like, of what my generation of hip hop is. And I don't know, mom, what did your music even? That's a good. Yeah, did your music talk about the, what was happening outside, or was it all just grooving, no, slow no. jam? I mean, Marvin Gaye Marvin talked Gay? about the war. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so they talked about the war, the war. Um, but it was about love yeah. <laughs> more so than anything. Well, but I mean, yeah. I think you, you hear that, hear that stuff more in the gospel music. The, that That's where you hear like a lot of that sort of like uh, expression of like dealing with this pain or whatnot. Right. Yeah, we're just going to, we're, we're going to trust God and, and you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard, but, um, and this, this, you know, our generation and, and it's hip hop is like, I don't trust y'all. And, and I'm, I don't need to. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. There's, you know, it's, it's different. It's definitely different. And, and, and yeah. love to talk about that more for sure. So yeah. uh, for that's sure. a great teaser for the next time we talk. Uh, we're all going to study hip hop and uh, no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my mom will come in. Yeah. Guns blazing yeah. with the N word. Yeah. Um, next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. I don't know about that. I know you can. Okay, so you can speed up, you know, conversations. Can you slow it down to where I can understand what the rap song is about? You know, you can oh, speed yeah. it up one time. We can get you some albums. We can get you a comment. Yeah, we can get you a comment. Yeah. comment. <laughs> Just right today. I can send you a CD today. <laughs> he said a CD. Yeah, a CD. I know. See, I'm, I'm speaking to the generations. I know. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I get it. You want an A track? I got you an A track, mom. We can get you a vinyl. Yeah. No. All right. Well, thank no. you. Thank you so much, Miss Beasley, for joining us. Uh, we're so excited thank to have you. you here. So much. Enjoyed the conversation. I uh, can't wait to listen to this, and I will listen to. <laughs> well, that's great. That's great, uh, Chris. Any final thoughts on having your mom in this? In this um, like I said on the last episode, you know, we're respectful to all our guests, mm-hmm. uh, even if they've seen us naked. You know, and that's huge. <laughs> um, so, please, any guests, we would love to talk to you, talk to yeah. our listeners. We just we love every single one of y'all so much, and we mm-hmm. want to understand that there are so many different walks of life. Um, now, some of those things might have correlations and we might speak broadly about some topics, but we also know that each every each and every one of us have an individual story and we want to get those here uh, on Imperfect Allies. So just thank you all. Thank you, mom, for being on here. Thank you, Richie, for being my partner yeah, in man. crime on this amazing yeah. podcast. It's just so awesome. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Absolute pleasure. All right, y'all. Take care. Thanks so much, y'all. All right, so... Uh, we did it last week. We can do it again. <laughs> Double <laughs> outro. 
uh, Chris and I were talking after that episode. Uh, just want to, again, thank you, uh, Miss Robin Beasley. Fantastic guest on the show. Uh, it was so great to hear the stories and your perspective. And uh, But Chris and I were talking a little bit about, uh, about what some of the subjects came up. And for me, hip-hop hit pretty hard. And Chris, so you don't know this, so this is kind of just off the cuff, but um, uh, I grew up loving, like, I really loved it. Now, granted, I wasn't exposed to the best hip-hop in the world or mm-hmm. the best rap in the world. So, like, uh, in sixth grade, I'm, I'm rocking out to two live crew. And, you know, that's <laughs> not, that, you know. Uh, in, uh, NWA, NWA, and I mean NWA is important to hip hop, but I don't know that Ice Ice Cube is a phenomenal lyricist and mm-hmm. rapper, but the group itself, I'm like, I'm not, I don't know, if that's the best hip hop in the world to mm-hmm. like listen to. And then, um, uh, like, you know, just like the pop stuff, like Naughty by Nature and and stuff like that. So I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't exposed because it just, I was just listening to what was pop, like what was available, like that was mm-hmm. what was available in in the tape store. Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> and I couldn't listen to it at my house either. Like I couldn't, I had to listen to, um, I mean, I could listen to like black artists. It wasn't like that. It was just like that, that language was unacceptable. And then later on, I don't know why I got this idea in my head that if I listened to hip hop and loved it as much as I did in disrespectful to black people, racist and there's just no place for me in it. So wow. I dropped it, dropped it. I was like, okay, that's cool. Like I'll listen to, to fallout boy or whatever. And fallout boy's great, you know, but like there was a, I, I can't pinpoint exactly like the, when it was, but there's just, you can see, like, if you look back over your life, there's just some times where like just things leave. And I, and, um, so I was thinking about that and from these conversations, uh, I have, I felt like I've received permission <laughs> in some way Yeah. in that, like, you know, you and I have been very real with each other and open and don't bullshit each other. And, and to hear like things like let your blackness out or like, <laughs> that's kind of thing. Like we were saying, it's yeah. a joke, but like some truth to that, like, cause anyway, I don't know how to talk about this, but like, you know, I uh, feel like I have re-engaged in a way that um is really rewarding and like really fantastic and uh i got emotional today about it because i feel Mm. like i was mourning something because part of whoever i am whatever part of that person is uh loves loves hip-hop and and um i deny myself that because i thought that's what i was supposed to do that's what like because you know like because when eminem like since came out that was a huge deal i wasn't into it because i'm like you cannot do that. That's not, mm-hmm. that's appropriate. You're, you're Elvising this whole thing. You're taking it. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, which was a popular yeah, opinion. Like you weren't alone sure. in that. Um, yeah. I know that our listeners are of many different generations. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you, you grew up nineties hip hop being mm-hmm. predominantly your music. Yeah. And so, so Eminem isn't at the beginning of your experience. Whereas for me, no. Eminem is not established, but, but, but his rise more accepted because he was a really cold artist and all their yeah. hate was for people that were really um, connoisseurs at that time. I was too young to be a connoisseur to say, oh, this white dude can't do this. Right. And so I know there's a lot of people that probably hear you saying 
Eminem's question and and they might think you might be sensitive or soft to even be thinking that but that was a there was a clear time period where that was um uh, a major opinion yeah sure. absolutely absolutely because that was a black thing like that's yes. that's what you know that was what black people do like that's and there were already sounds awful <laughs> Uh, Millie, Millie Vanilli, which they're they're black, but they, you know people that are are completely stealing, yeah. um, and, yeah. and so uh, it, it just the appropriation, the stealing of the culture is a big thing in pop because of the authenticity, authenticity that we care about. But I, I bet part of it for you is if you can't listen to it at home and you don't have a circle, that's yeah. also repping it. Oh, for it, sure, it probably does feel pretty bad. I got exposed to the chronic, completely missed Illmatic, completely mm. missed it. Right. Wow. So yeah. now I'm rocking that in 2020 <laughs> yeah. trying to catch up. <laughs> wow. You know what I'm saying? So, so there, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have um, gaps in that stuff. And I, I think that's that. Thanks for bringing that up because that's, that's the, that was the culture of the time is, is, is that uh, rap was for black people. And, and, and it, it, it was, I mean, at least from my, my point of view, it was a level of respect, like, cool, it's yours. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to do, I mean, if y'all don't want me in there, that's fine. But I didn't really have, I don't know where I got that. I don't know. It just other than, you know, I don't know. I don't know. So. Well, I, uh, I understand it. I, I, Cause I even felt like even me as a black man, young, getting into hip hop, getting into rap, um, mm. I felt like I wasn't authentically black enough to be um, a producer of hip hop, and oh, wow. you know, I, me and my me and my buddies who made music. One of one of us, my best friend Norman, was very passionate, um, and he had more of the quote unquote authentic experience of hip hop. So it made a little bit more sense. But we were his best friends, and we were both kind of you know very nerdy black dudes, and so we handled the producing and the the um equipment and all that and that's that's how i got into audio early um but it made sense for us to just start dabbling with it but i can understand and connect with you feeling like you're appropriating or stealing something that isn't authentically yours because i felt that as well and um and i i still struggle with that because a buddy of mine anytime i send him my music he's always like eh, yeah it just it just sounds so not authentic and it's crazy to me because i feel like i'm being pretty raw and honest on there as i am anywhere and everywhere but um but for him it just doesn't feel authentically to what the art form should be and it's just it's it's tough with music because music is such a collective religious experience but at the same time it's also kind of um um, it's individual, right? It's, it's also your, your own individual relationship with the, with the music. And so, you know, for me, hip hop is my one true connection with the black community. Um, you know, I, I make, I'm a comedian, so I make jokes about not all being in the black community as much as I want to be. And, you know, I just feel like just recently Netflix recognized that I was black, uh, started giving me more black TV shows. <laughs> um, but then people told me, no, that's just their BLM collection. Just, Everybody's got it. <laughs> got it yeah. So it's yeah. like, oh, dang, okay, uh, maybe not. Um, but it's just, <laughs> it's just always kind of present on my mind. And um, so growing up with my mom, not allowing that kind of music in the house, yeah, I, I totally connect with you there. And so you're not alone. Um, and I, I just can't imagine 
how hard it would have been if you didn't also have a camaraderie of people also jamming hip hop with you. I don't know. Like I had tons of friends that at least we could listen to it together in the car. Um, but, yeah. but I don't know if you had that as well. Yeah, like no, not at all. And and I I think it wasn't until like ninety nine two thousand where I secretly listened to the Fugees, uh, the Refugees album every day, mm-hmm. multiple times. Like I don't know why. Like, uh, but I felt weird buying it at the store. Like that's oh. how I don't know what this is. Like I didn't I didn't like choose to believe any of this stuff. It's like mm-hmm. I just thought that that's what it that's how life worked, you know. And uh, and then I eventually got got introduced to like black star and and um just other artists like that you know that that would be less less i don't know whatever the the rap versus hip-hop and if it's the same thing east coast all that stuff you know like all those little delineations because i watched a hip-hop evolution i didn't i didn't see uh i saw will i am in an interview or uh what's his name not will i am uh uh no yeah no uh wyclef he oh, Wyclef, yeah. Yeah. And neither was and, Will Smith. So I want to talk about <laughs> your mom so, bringing up Will Smith was a trip, man, because I'm like, yep. And that, and I, it's so funny you bring it up because me and my buddies in the middle of quarantine, nothing else to do. We made a, 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 a and B list, rapper list. And we were just going through all our, our, our A's and our B's. And it was like two weeks later that Wyclef popped up on something. And we were like, oh, we didn't even, we didn't even consider him, and and mad respectful, mad mad. That was mad disrespectful because he is a respected rapper. But it's 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 pretty much what you're saying. It, there are those delineations that just kind of have breakdowns. Um, but but hip hop is it's just tricky because I think there's probably a reason your family didn't want that in the, your house right didn't want you sure to like i mean i would have a hard yeah yeah i mean i i think i would have a hard time with my kids you know like playing the police or you know those kind of those words you know yeah pop the coochie you know all the stuff that i would listen to as wow. a kid like i'd be like i don't know <laughs> i don't know about that no. like and so but uh as an adult i can see the reporting of that like that we talked mm-hmm. about before but becoming becoming lyrical and reporting about the actual existence that people are in. And that's the hard part because, especially as a teacher, educating kids who should not be listening to music, and they are, they are getting an education on maybe their real experience for some of them. And that is a deep connection. Their yeah. music is like, oh, I live this. But for yeah. the kids that don't live it and are getting this culture uh, taught mm-hmm. to them at a young age that they don't even have experience to, those have major impacts on those kids' uh, livelihood in, in in many different ways, and not yeah. not necessarily all bad and malicious. I mean, like you said, you listen to hip hop, I listen to hip hop. It doesn't make you go out and start gang banging or anything like that. Right. But um, I mean, if they're talking about smashing, I'm trying to figure out what that is. <laughs> uh, you know, but I guess every kid is doing that anyways. Yeah, but, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, that stuff was, yeah, that, that, that's not new. And just because they're more, uh, they use different language talking about it than they talk about in the sixties. There are still songs that are like, they play on the radio. There's all about like, that's, true. that's it. That's all it is. And, and there's no way around it. And, and, um, so, but yeah, man, I just, uh, it's weird. Like I'm, uh, uh, getting into FL studio and making beats yeah. and just, just sitting with it. And I, 
I haven't slept in like a week because I'm like, I feel like I'm just, it feels, it honestly feels like the first time I did comedy. Oh, wow. Which is really weird. And I don't know what that means. Cause you know, and my, my lovely, wonderful wife said, well, Richie, you don't have to make any money off this. Like you can just have, I was like, well, I'm not trying to, like, but you know what I'm saying? Like you can just do it to have fun. You don't have to be good at it. I'm like, well, yeah. Okay. But <laughs> uh, you want to work at it, but hey, yeah, yeah let me know. We're just getting, um, getting lost. We, we need to make some music. Oh man. I, I'm down because uh, some imperfect music. Yeah. Imperfect music for sure. For sure, man. Uh, anyway, I don't know. <laughs> we've that, we've just been just going. <laughs> we were just, just going. But yeah, I just wanted to, I just wanted to talk to you about that. Uh, uh, the idea of like, you know, just missing out on something that just because you believe, you know, for whatever reason, you're not, not introspective on your belief, you miss out, you know, when we're not introspective, we don't, we don't question why we believe things we can miss out. And I, I just encourage our listeners to, uh, you know, this is an introspective time and that feels painful a lot of times. At the same time, I think there's a lot of benefit checking your beliefs, checking why you believe the things you do, because you could be missing out on something really wonderful. That's all, that's all I'm a message as all. <laughs> all I got true. Do, so, yeah. I, I, I agree with that. And if that's the, the last thing we want you to do uh, for this podcast is just reach out to more people, interact with them, learn something because you don't know what you're missing out on sometimes. And sometimes you remember just barely an experience that could have been uh, a new open door and you closed it uh, based on the world's views or your own personal views or family members. And uh, we want you to be able to connect with those again and connect with people. And so that's what Perfect Allies is all about. And I, I hope you've enjoyed this ride with us because yep. we've enjoyed it. <laughs> so Absolutely. <much. laughs> so we appreciate y'all. Thanks again for the uh, letting us do another outro. Hit us up on Patreon. We're up to three uh, pat patrons right now. I'm very excited about that. So, you know, growing. We're going to get this sounding good for you. Uh, that's our first goal is to get an engineer in here to record this stuff so Chris and I don't have to do this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, all this uh, malfunctions or whatever. But anyway, love y'all guys. Thanks. Peace. All black cards, black cards, all black everything.